This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. NBA Sound System Live up and running. A lot to get into this week. You can find us every week, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, right here on the NBA Global Networks. I am Carlin Gay. He is Scott Rafferty. Uh, and it's his favorite time of the year, 48 <laughs> hours away from his favorite time of the year. The NBA's trade deadline is, uh, is right around the corner. Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, that is when the trade deadline is. Sometimes some deals kind of trickle through, Scott, after the deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're anticipating some movement. We just don't know how much. Yeah, that's the funny thing about uh, this time of the NBA calendar because you know last week it felt like rumors were starting to pick up. Monday it feels like everyone who's plugged in dropped their uh, their their week preview of the trade deadline with everything that they're hearing, and then even today there's more stuff trickling in. So we'll we'll see how crazy it is, but there's uh, certainly a lot of names being thrown out there right now. Yeah, a ton of names, and let's let's get to discussing them right away because we have a lot to get through on this episode. And let's start with my opinion, the biggest fish in the pond right now around the trade deadline, and that is one Kyle Lowry. Uh, Kyle Lowry is going to be a free agent uh, at the end of the year, so this makes it tricky for both the Raptors and any team that could potentially acquire him at the trade deadline. Um, And this is a unique circumstance, Scott, as we know, working for NBA.com in Canada. uh, Kyle Lowry is pound for pound the greatest Raptor of all time. Um, He is an icon for that franchise. Most Raptor fans would love to see his jersey, his number seven, hanging in the Raptors. And they would want that to be the first jersey raised. There is not a a retired jersey uh, right now. Some even calling for a statue to be outside of Scotiabank Arena in the honor of Kyle Lowry. And uh, it's not like the Raptors franchise is just going to up and trade him anywhere to the best deal possible. They, they want to work with Kyle um, and, and find him a destination where he might want to finish his career. And where he might want to finish his career uh, are only a couple places. One, where uh, A, he would like to live, and then B, where, uh, where he can win a championship. And right now, where all we're hearing is two Eastern Conference powerhouses, the Miami Heat and the Philadelphia 76ers. Every report I read is one of those two teams. Um, there is some rumbling of the Clippers, but they just don't have the assets, so we won't waste time talking about them. But between the Heat and the Sixers, uh, who really presents the best package for the Toronto Raptors uh, to, for, to, to send Kyle Lowry there? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I think having thought about it quite a bit, this is kind of where I come down to. I think the 76ers could put together the most well-rounded package to the, to the Raptors for Kyle Lowry because they can do salary filler with two or three players. They can they have two interesting young players, I think, in uh, Tyrese Maxey and Matisse Tybel, both of whom I think would be a nice addition to the Raptors. And they also control, I think it's their, neck, their four next first round picks. So they can do salary filler, young player or players, and potentially one or multiple first round picks. And I think that's going to be the most well-rounded package that you're going to get from a contender for Kyle Lowry. Where the Heat come into this is I think they can probably offer the best young player for Kyle Lowry. Because once again, they can do salary filler. 
you basically have your choice between, you'd think, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. And Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer has reported that um, as a couple of days ago, the Raptors would want at least one of them in a deal for Kyle Lowry. Things like that can change very quickly in the NBA, but it seems like the Raptors would want at least one of them in return. And I do think Tyler Hero in particular, out of those four players that I just mentioned, Tyrese Maxey, Matisse Tybal, him and Duncan Robinson, I think he's probably the most intriguing young asset that the Raptors could get in return for him. Um, it's unknown if the, he would be willing to part ways with him. They seem like they've stood pat with him in the past and not really wanted to give him up because they see him as you know a big part of their future and everything. Um, but that, that that feels like it would be the big piece because the Heat are kind of limited in the amount of they, they don't have as much control over their future first round picks. Um, I think I think they'd have to lift the restrictions off of one of their one of the picks they traded to the Thunder, I believe, um, right. to be able to trade a first round pick. So it's just a little bit more complicated for them. So that's the way I see it. I think the Sixers have the most well rounded package, but I think the Heat, depending on who they include in it, could probably have the best package if that makes sense. Yeah, with Philadelphia, it is complicated in the sense that, yes, they have the best package. Yes, they could probably offer picks, and they have the best probably young guys that you can get uh, as a collective. Um, but you're in the division. You now have to look at Kyle Lowry, uh, potentially, if he plays you know, for another two or three years. And uh, in Philadelphia, you're going to see him four times a year. You're going to have to see him go through the postseason with a chance to win a championship. That might sting a little bit as an in-division uh, rival. And you know how I always think about that. Secondly, uh, the Raptors could, but, but on the bright side, the Raptors could get a Tyrese Maxey, who we really haven't seen much from, um, a promising rookie who can fill in the backcourt and be that backup to Fred Van Vliet. Uh, and then you have uh, Tyrese, or sorry, um, Matisse, Matisse Heibel, yep. who the Raptors, the last two seasons, um, have been a top five defensive team. And they're 21st in defensive efficiency this year. Tybal's a guy who they could be in, and, and it's a guy that I don't think they've had uh, really since Kawhi Leonard left. Uh, a guy where you could say, go lock down that other, that other team's best player. Um, they have a lot of great, capable defenders, OG Ananobi being probably the best defender when you when you when you put that into perspective and he's a really good defender maybe one day an all nba defender or all defensive team defender but i think tybal gives you that one extra step we're saying all right you can lock into this guy for you know 48 minutes and let og kind of roam and play safety where i think he's really good at and and the raptors like i said they need help defensively it just hasn't happened for them they've lost a lot of defensive talent the last two off seasons getting one back in title would be incredible for them and then on the miami side uh there are rumors uh a lot of uh, reports out there uh that uh larry prefers to go to miami um and there is interest there and the Heat are, are looking at it like, well, if, if Lowry wants to come here, we could just wait four months and then get him in the offseason and sign him um, without having to give up a Tyler Hero, for example, and, and then really go at it next season uh, to win a championship. But you do have to be careful with that because windows, as we know, championship windows close and you can't really predict this stuff. That's why uh, if you're the Heat, why not pull the trigger now? Lowry's healthy. You, if he's going to come there anyway, he's likely going to resign, right, if he, if he wants to be in Miami. So get him now for the stretch run and, and try to make a run and, and get back to the finals and maybe win a championship this season rather than waiting next year when you really don't know what's going to happen or what the world's going to look like. Yeah, I think the Heat, I think they're, they're my favorite fit stylistically for Lowry. I just think he'd fit in so well culturally with what the Heat do. Um, he's that kind of player that they've always kind of gone after. I mean, he's basically just a point guard version of Jimmy Butler in the, in the way that he plays, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think he, I think he has the potential to fit in really well with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, giving well, them another say shooter. That. He, he's like a point guard version of Bam Adebayo too, right? Yeah, like he, he, he could do it all. 
Yeah, um, two-way player, can defend multiple positions, is basically leads the league in charges, what feels like every single season. Knockdown shooter, can play with and without the ball in his hands. I think that's kind of the piece that they need to kind of get them to that next level, which is really what makes Kyle Lowry such a fascinating player going into the trade deadline because, like you said, I, I think he's probably the best player available or, or the best player who could really change the title race in either conference. Because if he goes to the 76ers, that gives them a dynamic that they don't have right now. Um, mm-hmm. A guard who you can give the ball to and you can consistently make plays for himself and others. Um, as good as Ben Simmons is, we kind of seen in the past how he can, when, when things get tight down in the playoffs, he kind of can, can move off ball more and play more in the dunker spot. And having one more player who can take that pressure, ball handling responsibility off of him would be a huge addition. Um, and yeah, the Heat, I think that would just give them, you know, a, a big three, really, um, to compete with uh, other teams in the Eastern Conference, and potentially the Western Conference. And, you know, when you're looking at who they're going to have to play in the East, you're looking at other big threes. You're looking at James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant. You're looking at Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, Jason Tatum, Jim, um, Jalen Brown, and potentially, you know, like an Aaron Gordon or something. So um, th- there's a lot of firepower in the East. And I, I think just he, he just makes a ton of sense on both teams really but i do like the fit a little bit more in miami yeah um for for on the philly side before we move on a lot of people are talking about what you know it would look like with kyle lowry and, and joel and b uh running pick and roll it would look interesting with kyle lowry and, and ben simmons running pick and roll as well yeah, it would uh, to it open would. up his offense a little bit to help build some ben simmons get some easier looks at the rim um so that's the story on kyle lowry uh, 48 hours away from you know potentially being uh, somewhere else. There was a, re- I, I, I'm, I'm tentative to say report. I know that sometimes, and I didn't get the chance to listen to it as yet. I know sometimes uh, Brian Windhorst gets taken out of context on his podcast. Uh, and I did see a report or a rumor uh, that he had said that at the end of the week, no matter what, Kyle Lowry would have a new contract, whether that's in Toronto or where he ends up, if it's Philly or Miami, he's signing a new contract. So basically Kyle Lowry free agency is happening as we speak. Um, mm. And that will determine where he ends up uh, to, to kind of close his career because he is 35. He, he ain't getting any younger. He is. He is he's, 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 well, he's not 35 yet. He's going to be 35 actually on Thursday on trade deadline. Yep. Day. So, uh, um, so that that is an interesting aspect as well. The team that does trade for him will be getting him locked in going forward. If you're listening to the Windy Podcast, so. Um, th- that's story on Lowry, but the Raptors have another player in the mix whose name is is heating up, um, and rightfully so. Uh, Norman Powell is having an incredible year. He, he's having the best year, playing the best basketball he's ever played, uh, and uh, it's an interesting spot for him because normally, if you're a team like the Raptors, this is a guy you would say, all right, we'll break the bank for him. We'll keep him. The problem is, is that the Norm Powell sweepstakes or the Norm Powell, uh, I guess, return is going to be quite an investment he, he he is expected to according to zach Lowe, make close to 20 million dollars a year and with the raptor salary you know situation as it's currently constructed they have already paid for van vliet this past offseason they've paid pascal siakam who now uh who, who by making all nba is, is going to be being, being paid a little bit more than probably they would have expected and then they locked in og ananobi so those are three guys that they expect to be their core going forward. And to add Norm Powell to it, you're not going to be able to really build much around those four players if Powell is making $20 million a year. So mm-hmm. do they keep him? Do they let him go? He's playing the best basketball of his career. What, what do you think about Norm Powell? It's worth mentioning, by the way, he does have a player option for next season, but it's it's $10 million or $11 million, I think it is. And it's 
by all accounts, it seems like everyone is saying that he's going to decline that to become a free agent so he can sign a potentially $20 million a year contract next. Um, yeah, it's the Raptors are in a tricky situation because it does feel like it's the right time for them to sell high on Norman Powell if they don't kind of envision him being a part of their future. Because I, I think I've said it before, but like you really do have to keep in mind, like they, they, they saw Kawhi Leonard walk in free agency, get nothing in return. They saw the same thing with Marcus Gasol, get nothing in return. And the same thing with Serge Ibaka and get nothing in return. And now they're staring at the possibility of if they did keep Kyle Lowry and Norman Powell past the trade deadline, potentially losing both of them as well for nothing in return. And that's what, six players, uh, five players who've been a part of their core and a huge piece over the last couple of years to get nothing in return for them. Um, that would be a huge loss for them, even though they already have, you know, their kind of core for the future in Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. So it, it, it is a tricky one because you do have to ask that question is, you know, if, if you're paying Norman Powell $20 million a year next to those guys, like what is your ceiling for this team? Um, I, I mean, Norman Powell's a great player, but I also think that right now, I wouldn't be surprised if right now is his peak. That's not to say that this is the best he'll ever play and he's going to drop off next season or whatever. Um, but I think this is probably the best version of Norman Powell you're ever going to get. And I just do wonder on a team like the Raptors, it feels like they need a better piece or they could they can invest their money in someone who can move the needle more for them with the call that they have um so it, it it is definitely a tricky one you and i joked i think earlier that we're kind of surprised that um <laughs> that, that the raptors haven't pulled him yet uh because mm -hmm. it does feel like they are going to trade him or that's going to be the best decision for them and by the way they do have a game on wednesday the day before the trade deadline against denver nuggets um and we were also joking about that it's going to be fascinating to see who's on that injury report for the raptors um you know if they, if they keep people out um thinking that the trade deadline's the next day but yeah, Nolan Powell's a big name. It seems like he's drawing a lot of interest around the league by all reports. One team in particular I think would be very interesting for him is the Dallas Mavericks. I think he'd fit in really nicely next to Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. But um, I, I know there's, I think, I think Jake Fisher on Bleacher Report named about six teams that are, have been discussed in the running for him. So he, he's going to be a popular name. Yeah, he, he definitely is. I feel like all teams in the NBA would value Norm Powell uh, highly. He's, he's a guy that's averaging almost 20 points per game, and he's doing it efficiently, almost 50% from the field, 43% from deep, uh, and a high volume. Um, and mm -hmm. he, and he's, he's continued his, uh, you know, we've seen this growth from him over the last three years uh, as he's gotten more opportunity with the Raptors. There is one caveat, though, that it comes with Norman Powell, and, and I think Raptors fans know this well better than anyone in the league, is you can look at those numbers and say that Norman Powell's having an incredible year but last season and he had another breakout season last year uh, a lot of that you know uh, a lot of the stat stuffing for him last year came when he was a starter and it, and there was a big drop off between uh, his production as a starter and his production as a role player and I question whether or not um, you know the best you know because he's probably best suited to be a uh, you know a microwave scorer off the bench uh, on a championship contender but he just hasn't shown that he can consistently be that microwave scorer off the bench. But you put him in a starting lineup, it's a completely different player. So how much does he raise your ceiling is, is the real question. And I don't think the Raptors have an answer for that. And like I said, they already have a lot of money tied up to three guys. To add a fourth in Norm Powell, uh, with the way he's playing right now, you know, he's playing incredibly. But you know, how, how much worse are they going to be without him? You know, this mm -hmm. is a team that's nine uh, straight losses, and Powell's been awesome in, in, in most of those nine games. So... Um, you know, if you're if you're not that great with him, how much worse can you be without him? That's the uh, that's the the old Carlin game motto. 
Yeah, and it's it's just tough too because let's say that the Raptors did keep Kyle Lowry past the trade deadline and intended on keeping him, and then you do the same thing with Norman Powell. Those five, the the Van Vliet, Lowry, um, Siakam, Ananobi, and Powell, are, they work together. They're really good together. But like you like you said, if Powell's so much better as a starter, if you start him, then you're going just so small. Um, and that works sometimes. It doesn't work against every team. But then if you bring off the bench and he's not as productive, you know he might not be. Uh, worth the contract that you're giving him and everything so i think it does just complicate things a little bit too much for the raptors and uh it, it just does feel like the right time with with the way that the season is going for them having lost nine in a row you know scrapping and crawling to kind of make even even in the play-in tournament um this does kind of feel like the right time for them to sell high on him brooklyn that's apparently are interested in norma powell and appears that one. the uh the raptors are interested in spencer dinwiddie who was injured got injured earlier this season but he is a guy that, uh, similar to Powell, um, can come off the bench and start uh, in, in certain situations. And he had been doing that in Brooklyn um, for over the last couple of seasons. So that would be a fair, uh, in my opinion, a fair swap for, for both sides, especially if both of them are healthy. Um, let's move to a guy who hasn't been healthy uh, a lot lately, unfortunately, in Victor Oladipo. Um, we all know the heights that his career reached in Indiana, the one year in Indiana, almost bounced LeBron James out of the playoffs in the first round for the first time in his career. Um, but since then, it's kind of been a downward spiral. He got hurt, and he really haven't. He, we really haven't seen him return to the great form that he once had uh, as an All Star. And now in Houston, um, his counting stats are there for his time in Houston. Efficiency nowhere near uh, anything to write home about. Um, and over the last couple of games, he's kind of been in and out of the lineup. Uh, he, he did reportedly turn down a contract offer from Houston, um, and all reports indicate, including as we speak right now, Woj coming out with another story that it looks as though, um, you know, Victor Oladipo is going to get dealt by the trade deadline. Uh, the question is where? Yeah, the, uh, I know the heat have been tied to him quite a bit in the past, but it seems more and more likely that they would hold off on trading for him, at least based on the reporting right now, because they, they're going to have the cap space to go after him in free agency. So if they want him, it seems like they can just kind of wait until then. Obviously, these things can change quickly, but that's what it seems like right now. Um, New York, the Knicks have been mentioned or tied to him quite a bit. They're going to have potentially the most cap space in the league this offseason. So they're going to have plenty of money to spend. Um, it, it's just it's it's hard to find a landing spot for him, I think, because at least with Larry, Larry's going to be a free agent, like you said, at the end of the season. But you know what you can expect from Larry. And mm -hmm. sure, it could take him time to adjust to, to a new scenario, new teammates and everything. But he's been, you know, one of the best guards in the league for the last five, six, seven years or whatever. And you know what he's going to bring on both ends of the court. And I think Oladipo is just a bigger question mark. And especially given his age, where he is at in his career. I mean, some of the reporting points to him trying to maximize or, or, or get close to a max contract as a free agent. So, you know, if he doesn't close the season really strong, how likely are you to to sign him to that contract? Because if you don't, you risk, you run the risk of him going into free agency as an unrestricted free agent and just signing with any team in the league. So, yeah, it, it's very complicated. Um, but it seems like the Rockets are confident that they're going to find a trade for him um, and get something in return for him. Because, uh, I mean, quite frankly, they need to because he was kind of their big piece, right, in that James Harden. I know they got a, a ton of draft picks, but he was kind of the big name that, that was in that James Harden deal for them. So to lose him for nothing would, would be a huge loss for them. Yeah, it, it really would. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's the story for uh, a lot of these teams. That's why that's what makes this trade deadline so intriguing is that a lot of these players on you know the end of their contracts are – 
you know, their teams are hoping to get something back for them. But, you know, rival teams know that and they're not giving up the uh, King's Ransom, so to speak, to, yep. uh, to, to get these players. Uh, another one that's in that boat um, or another team that's in that boat is in Texas as well, San Antonio Spurs. Um, we talked about Lowry being a big name. I think DeMar DeRozan is just as big as a name, but quietly. You know, DeMar DeRozan is a guy, like like you said, with Lowry. You know what you're going to get out of him. Um, I think teams at this point understand what he is and whether or not that matters, uh, whether or not his three-point shooting matters to you or not. I think he's still a very efficient scorer, and he has become a playmaker over the last couple of years. There's value in DeMar DeRozan. Uh, he's in the final year, potentially the final year of his deal. And uh, San Antonio uh, probably is going to lose him in the offseason uh, for nothing if they don't get something done at the deadline. LaMarcus Aldridge in the same boat. Um, where do you see two of those guys ending up? And what, what should San Antonio do here as we approach the trade deadline? Aldridge seems like he's heading towards a buyout just because his contract is so big. Um, and it's it's he hasn't played well enough for a team to, I think, trade for him, quite frankly. So it does seem like that's headed towards a buyout. And all the reporting seems to point to the Heat at least being the front runners right now to land him, which would be an interesting situation for him if he can come off the bench, kind of give him a scoring punch, a low post presence and all that. DeRozan, I, I, he's always been a hard person for me to, to kind of, like la, going back to Larry, just because it's so easy, you, he can pretty much fit on any team in the league because of what he can do. He's a great defender, can play on and off ball. You really can slide him along anyone. DeRozan is not as clean because... Even though he's scaled back significantly, like he's not nearly as ball dominant as he as he used to be, he still needs the ball in his hands. Um, so it's like if if he goes to like Denver, for example, and he plays next to Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, is he getting the same opportunities to play make with the ball in his hands that he is in San Antonio? Because if he's not, then it opens up more concerns about you know his reluctance or inability to kind of really space the floor at a high level um, as a shooting guard, small forward, power forward, whatever whatever you want him to play. In saying that, I mean, he's having a terrific season. And I, I do think that it, he he did, it was unfortunate that he wasn't named an all-star because he really has been performing at that kind of level all season long. He's averaging nearly a career low. Well, not a career low. He averaged just under 10 points a game as a rookie, but he's averaging like the second lowest scoring figures of his career. But like you said, he's just exploded as a playmaker. And the thing that really surprises me about him is he's not just putting up big assist numbers. He's barely turning the ball over. Like he is one of the best uh, assist to turnover ratios in the league. He's just turned into a really smart decision maker with the ball in his hands. Um, and yeah, there's certainly some teams that could use that. I know you've talked before about how you kind of, it, in, he'd be ideal in like a six man role coming off the bench and just turning the offense over to him and letting him cook. And then he closes games when needed. I don't think he's at that stage in his career yet. I think he's way too good to be at that point. But um, it's just, he's just a fascinating case in that like he's not necessarily the cleanest fits everywhere in the league, but there's no denying that he's one of the best offensive players in the league. Um, and, you know, there's certainly some teams that could use his kind of offensive firepower. No question, especially if teams are going small. I think he uh, he can play in the front court as well. I mean, he's been playing power forward some lineups. Yeah, he's been playing power forward for for the Spurs all all year yeah. long. Um, you mentioned the usage. This is the uh, first time 
since the sophomore season um, when he was 21 years of old, 21 years of age, 10 years ago, uh, since he's been under 24% usage percentage or percentage uh, in his first season. Um, mm-hmm. So it, this is this is low for him and still productive, though, and still very efficient. Uh, that's the that's the two things that I think people need to look at. The one thing, though, uh, with Demar, I, I know most people worry about his fit offensively. I think he's good enough that he'll be able to figure it out uh, and make and now with with his improved efficiency, he, he'll make use of the smaller attempts that he does get with the rock defensively though he is going to be an, an issue uh he is going to be a problem he's not a guy that uh it has defended at a high level even in his prime and as he slows down uh he's not i'm not saying that he's over it's over for him yet he's still only 31 but as he begins to slow down um it is a problem defensively and you are going to have to find ways to hide him um and, and that may be an issue when you get deep into the postseason, and there's no one to hide anyone on. As you mentioned, all mm-hmm. those big threes in the Eastern Conference. There's a lot of big threes in the West too, and they could all cook. So, um, finding somewhere where you can kind of, you know, finding minutes for Demar, where he's going to be a liability defensively, and then he's not giving you all he can give you on the offensive end. That's going to be tough, and I think a lot of teams are weighing that. I would, and this is a dream scenario. I haven't heard anything. I haven't read anything, um, or, or I, it just popped into my head now. It'd be interesting to see him in Phoenix with uh, with the Suns, and I don't know how they would get him or if they would even be interested in trying to to get him, but I think that the Suns could use a, a third score. Um, I like DeAndre Ayton, but once we get to he's the postseason, he's not there as a yeah. uh, as a reliable third score, and also he, he's he's very dependent on what Devin Booker and Chris Paul can do for him. Um, and they just don't have anyone outside of Devin Booker and Chris Paul right now that is going to be able to put the ball in the deck and do, you know, either create for themselves or create for others. And I know Mikel Bridges is, is everyone's darling. He's great defensively. He still has a little bit way to go offensively. Cam Johnson, a great shooter. He's not putting it on the deck. I think DeRozan could give him that reassurance as a, as a guy that maybe give him, you know, 15 on a given night. And that might just be enough for them to keep the score ticking over on, on against really good defenses in the playoffs. Again, don't know how they would get him, but I think it, it would be a nice scenario for Phoenix. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I go back to the, we talked about it last week, but you, you saying Philadelphia, um, I think that would be an interesting situation for him, kind of being that that Jimmy Butler type of closer for them on offense and I think they have the the defense to kind of make up for him on the end of the court I think Miami too like I I don't think that's terrible for him and again they have two great defenders and Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo to kind of cover for him offensively not nearly as clean because Jimmy Butler's not much of a shooter Um, Bam Adebayo has extended his range out to to mid-range this season but he's still not much of a three-point shooter so the three of them together might cramp spacing a little bit too much but but that's a possibility um I also I feel like I've seen I don't know if there's any real reports behind it but I feel like I've seen a lot of like Dallas tied to Luke uh, to DeMar DeRozan in the past um, and I mean, I, I don't, I, that's not bad to me because obviously everything revolves around Luka Doncic on that team, but DeRozan would just give them someone else. They can kind of handle the offense, especially when Luka's not on the court and take a little bit of pressure off of him. And obviously they have shooting basically every single position, which would just open up the court for him to do what he does best. So, um, I, I don't hate Dallas either. And they, that, you know, they're a team that's always looking to be aggressive, always looking to go after big names. Um, and, and you know, they've picked up after a really slow start this season and maybe a DeRozan is kind of the piece that can kind of help them move up the Western Conference standings a little bit more and, and get into that tier, that next tier of contenders. 
yeah, Dallas, you, you mentioned Dallas. We did talk about them last week um, when we discussed Andre Drummond, who is also still on the trading block and, and teams are kind of just waiting to see what happens with him. Uh, we won't get into the discussion about him. If you missed any of that, you can go back in the archives and listen to it because I don't think much has changed from what we experienced last week with Andre Drummond. He's still in the same position. I think teams are kind of waiting for him to be bought out and then we'll see where he goes from there. So, But I do want to get to an Aaron Gordon who is mm-hmm. uh, with the Magic and he is one of the rare guys that's on the trading block that still has time left on his deal. Um, so if you are going to get an Aaron, Aaron Gordon, you don't have to be afraid of it not working out and then losing him in the offseason for nothing this year. Um, and he is a guy that I think is an underrated defender nationally. And I don't think a lot of people realize how good of a defender he has been over the last couple of years. He's improved there. They probably overrate his offense a little bit. But uh, in the right situation uh, with, with talent around him, I think he's very valuable and 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 might he's not going to shift the balance of power like Kyle Lowry would, but he can put a team get the team to the next step um, by being a lockdown defender and and just a pest uh, and, and an energy guy on offense. Yeah, so the the latest reporting from Matt Moore of the Action Network, he broke the story that apparently the Celtics are now the front runners to acquire Aaron Gordon um, from the Magic. Again, these things can change quickly. It sounds like the Magic are going to wait until. The, the last moment really on the trade deadline to kind of survey all their options and go with the best one. But he, he'd be, I think he'd be a good fit with the Celtics. I don't know if he elevates them to that, that Nets box um, sixes level. But the way I like to see it is he, he basically just filled that Gordon Haywood gap, right? Um, he's not Gordon Haywood 2.0 or anything, but he'd be that, that power forward. He'd, he'd be a multi-positional defender. He'd be a ball mover on offense. He's having a career year from three-point line. He's been a little inconsistent as a three-point shooter prior to this season. So that's a little bit of a concern. But I think, you know, he, he has the ability to kind of replace a lot of what um, they lost in, in Gordon Haywood when he signed with the got signed and trade to the Hornets in the offseason. And he also fits the the development timeline more of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So it's kind of easy to see the three of them being teammates together for, for the foreseeable future. And like you said about his contract too, it's it's not that he just has one more year on his contract. It also declines. Um, he's on the books for $18.1 million this year and then $16.4 million next year. So that only adds to the intrigue for him around the trade deadline. And obviously the Celtics have that trade exception that they can use to get him without having to match his entire salary. So they, they, they tick a lot of boxes. It seems like they're going to be, um, you know, if, if not, if they don't land him, they're, gonna, they're definitely one of the teams up there. But I think that my favorite destination for Aaron Gordon, though, is the Nuggets. And mm-hmm. there's a little bit of an overlap between him and Michael Porter Jr. because they play the same position. Um, they, you might stunt Michael Porter Jr.'s growth a little bit by bringing him on. But I think, speaking of replacements, I think he'd be the he's he's probably the best person available that the Nuggets could get this season who could replace what they had in Jeremy Grant. Um, mm-hmm. a, again, a multi-positional defender, a guy that they can throw on a LeBron James in the playoffs, um, a Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. Not saying he's going to lock them down, but um, you don't necessarily have to throw multiple defenders at them when he's a primary defender because he can kind of hold his own or at least do a good enough job where you can kind of stay home in your defensive principles. And I think that's really important. And I also think... I, I think Aaron Gordon, I, I feel like Nikola Jokic is, is one of those players who could just bring the best out of Aaron Gordon. Like having him as a cutter next to him would just be incredible. 
Um, and, and, you know, his playmaking, I think that there's room for that on this roster. He'd be the third option on offense, but there's times where, you know, he will get a little bit more opportunities with bench-heavy lineups, maybe down the stretch if he has a favorable matchup. So my, my favorite position, for, uh, my favorite landing destination or trade destination for him would be the Nuggets, but um, I do like the Celtics for him as well. Yeah, Celtics wouldn't be a bad spot for him. Um, what the Celtics lack right now, I think more than anything, is someone that can get an easy bucket inside. Uh, you know, I love you know I love Daniel Tice more than most people do. <laughs> you um, do, but but I think Aaron Gordon just a better pick and roll option um, than than Tice is. And uh, you know, Tristan Thompson just uh, even though he's played better, um, he's just not going to give you the level of production that Aaron Gordon can possibly give you. So uh, uh, and on both ends of the floor, Tristan Thompson is probably not the best you know as good of a defender as he once was in Cleveland. He's probably slowing down and and people forget Aaron Gordon's only 25 years old like I yeah. it feels like he's been in the league for 10 years he hasn't he came in the league when he was 19 he's 25 now so um there's still a lot of basketball left in, in Aaron Gordon's legs uh my favorite destination for him though would be Portland uh for all those things I said uh you know I think Portland could they need one more piece uh if, if they were going to be serious to, to you know a team that's serious to make a run uh and also they need to be healthy because we haven't seen them healthy all year long mm-hmm. um but aaron gordon to me um is probably a better defender on ball defender than robert covington that then moves Covington down the pecking order to put him on the second best player and i think that's where he's best suited uh and then you know derrick jones jr is probably as, as good a defender as aaron gordon in my opinion but his offense is just far behind what Aaron gordon could provide and the one thing I think the 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 Blazers uh, don't have is a, a true pick and roll option um, for Dame and CJ. It, it feels like a lot of their stuff has to come one on one, or uh, they're, they're trying to break someone down off the bounce. And Nurkic is fine, but he he is when you look at the stats, he's he's not an efficient uh, pick and roll finisher. But Aaron Gordon, who's I think he's having a down season this year in terms of uh, pick and roll efficiency. But in years past, I think he, he might be in the 60th percentile, which is uh, way better than what you know uh, Nurkic has, has given you, and uh, and then he's a legit lob threat. Um, that's the one yeah. thing that I think uh, you know the, the the Blazers don't have consistently outside of Derrick Jones Jr. So that's the uh, uh, my dream scenario. But they are, I mean, they just don't have enough assets to to entice them to Magic to go out and give him uh, to go out and get an Eric Gordon. So the Magic would just have to be so kind uh, as to to gift <laughs> Eric Gordon over to the Blazers. And I don't think that's how uh, the trades in the NBA work. Um, I will there, say, by is, the way. I will say on Aaron Gordon and the Blazers, it's not even just his finishing out of the pick and roll. I think his playmaking out of the short roll would be huge for them as well because they they don't really have someone who, when someone runs is setting a screen for Damian Lillard several feet behind the three-point line and the opposing team traps him, they don't really have someone who can get the ball and consistently pick teams apart in that short roll like a Draymond Mm -hmm. Green or anything like that. So that would just be another element to there that he fit in really well. Yeah, he he would, and the shooting there would uh, complement that very very nicely. So, um, Aaron Gordon would is a uh, I think someone that uh, a lot of people expect to move. Um, he's not going to shift the balance of power like Lowry will, but he will make a team better. Um, and I think people will will learn to appreciate him a little bit more if he ends up in a new market because uh, it just feels like he's a little bit underappreciated being in Orlando, even though they've made the playoffs the last two seasons and people have seen him in the first round. I, I just don't think what he does is really, truly appreciated. Um, the Pacers, uh, <laughs> we woke up this morning and, and I don't think we expected to read reports about any of the, the Pacers outside of maybe Miles Turner. And now it seems like everybody's available. Uh, what What is going on in Indiana for people that don't know? 
Well, it seems like um, one that Malcolm Brogdon is, they're at least sniffing around to see what they could get for him. And surprisingly, I've seen Demonis Sabonis' name mentioned um, in a couple of reports. Not to say that they're looking to trade him, but it doesn't also seem like he's untouchable. Um, and it's also funny because I also read a report that Miles Turner, it's likely that they're going to keep him. And he seemed like the one on that team who, if he was, if someone was traded on the paces this season, it was going to be him. So who who knows? I, I mean, they've, <laughs> they've kind of come out of nowhere. Um, so yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them over the next 48 hours because if anything, it seems like they're going to at least get into some conversations. Um, what they're looking for in return, I, I don't know. But um, yeah, the, the Pacers might sneak their way into something. It's funny because Indiana a month ago, you know, were sitting pretty in the in a spot where they didn't have to play in the playing game, and now they're hanging on um, for the tenth seed in in this uh, in this weird season that we're having here. Um, haven't played good basketball over the last ten games. They're they're six and four and six rather in their last ten games um, on the season. You know, they're even in terms of points for and points against. That's it's not good for whatever reason. They hate playing in Indiana. They, they, they're one of the few teams uh, in, in the playoff race right now uh, that have a, a losing record at home. And the other team would be the Toronto Raptors, who have a losing record at home. And it's not really their home. So uh, we, we can understand why the Raptors might be struggling in Tampa. I have no idea why the Pacers, who normally are a good home team, are struggling at home. Um, and, and it just feels like you know that front office is maybe making a decision like, hey, we got Karis LeVert. Uh, let's see what we have with him. Uh, we have a lot of young talent. Um, and, and maybe they can give the keys to one person and after this trade deadline say, all right, this is your team. We're building around you, whether that's um, you know, uh, Sabonis, whether that's Brogdon if he makes it out, whether that's Miles Turner. Uh, it just feels like they're, they're just a lot of mixed signals coming out of India. Yeah, it was it was Vincent Goodwill of Yahoo Sports, by the way, who uh, who has this has this information. He says multiple teams are saying that the Pacers are listening to pitches on Brogdon and are monitoring Sabonis as well. Um, what one team that is very interesting is that Goodwill mentions that the obviously the Clippers have been looking for a point guard or point guard help, and they've been linked to Lonzo yeah, Ball, and like you said earlier, months, right? Yeah, like, yeah, on. but um, you know. Potentially getting someone like a Brogdon on that team. I don't know how realistic it is. It's probably not realistic at all. But um, I, the, the Clippers are just... They feel to me like they're one piece away still. Like I, I feel like they do need a point guard. Someone who can kind of get their offense going. Get them out of the mud sometimes. Because it does... They seem to kind of just go through lulls offensively. Where everything looks really difficult. And they just can't score and they struggle. So getting someone who can get... You know, bring a little bit more playmaking. A little bit more shooting. I think that would help them get to back to that that level of the Nets, the Lakers, and all that. Um, so, again, I have no idea. They, they, they might just not have the assets to get anyone. They might have to just go to the buyout market again, which is kind of what they did last off uh, last trade deadline. But uh, thinking of them adding someone like, you know, Alonzo Ball or Malcolm Brogdon, uh, that, that, that would that'd be pretty crazy for them. It would. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting offseason if the Clippers don't win the championship or at least make the finals this year. Uh, that's all I'll say on them. Um, and, and I made that Celtics of West stroke. It feels like they're in every rumor, just like the Celtics are in every rumor at the trade deadline. It feel, the Clippers have no chance of making a, a significant deal unless a team, a third team gets involved and, and really well, wants to the help thing. them out. It's, yeah. it's I mean, what are we doing here? If, if, if you're a Clipper fan, stop it. You know, just just get through the tri- get through the the uh, season healthy and hope that this team can get th- get on a run and get rolling. 
because you're not getting Malcolm Brogdon. All right, Let, let's just be real. It, it will take a miracle for, hey, for that to happen. Look, I, I'll never say never in the NBA. Crazy things have happened. Um, <laughs> it seems highly unlikely to me. I, I wrote about this the other day that the them getting Lonzo Ball seems highly unlikely. Same thing with Kyle Lowry, but I won't rule anything out in the NBA because as soon as you think something's not going to happen, it does. So that, that's all I'll say on that. Fair enough. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more skeptical about that happening. <laughs> um, a lot of injuries, unfortunately, have happened over the last little bit, Scott, and it, it might mm. have shaken up uh, two award races, uh, particularly. Uh, as we're talking right now, there is a report out there now that Lonzo, or sorry, LaMelo Ball uh, might be reevaluated in four weeks after his procedure. Uh, he did fracture his hand, and that might give him an opportunity to come back this season. And if you're a Hornets fan, you know that the Hornets right now are in the thick of things in a play off race so if he's able to come back um they they would welcome him back because they're gonna be in the playoffs uh, more than likely for the first time in a while so uh that might change the the rookie of the year race but if you're a hornet fan you're just happy to have lamello back in business but in saying all of that has lamello's injury recalibrated your expectations for who might win the rookie of the year (laughs) Can, can I cop out of this and say that it's too soon to tell? Because <laughs> um, I, I do feel like it, when you look at the history, like the amounts of games that he's played, it, it's highly unlikely that he would win Rookie of the Year based on that. But I do think it will take someone really popping over these next, what, 30, 35 games um, to steal it from him. And I mean, Tyrese Halliburton put on, a, felt like a statement game last night, having a career high. So, and Anthony Edwards, by the way, I, you and I have been talking a lot about Anthony Edwards over the last couple of weeks. I've been high on him all season long, even when he was, couldn't buy a shot. But I think, you know, I, my gut says right now that it will take a, a good stretch from either one of them, potentially someone else, who knows, to kind of steal that rookie of the year from uh, LaMelo Ball. But there's also a chance that when we look at everything in two months time and I see the games missed and, and all that, that it's just a no-brainer that it should be someone else. But yeah, my gut right now says it's going to take a pretty good stretch from someone to steal it from him. Yeah, I just have a hard time giving, uh, and I know it's happened in the past, folks, but I just have a hard time giving um, Anthony Edwards the jump over Tyrese Halliburton because um, Halliburton is technically still in a playoff race even though they're, they're 18 and 25. <laughs> I mean, uh, the Minnesota is just not. I mean, they, they've won they've won 10 games. It's and you know he can have a great year, but they've won 10 games. He has a negative hey. offensive you know uh, offensive shares. He's hey, negative in offensive shares. He's he's Win averaging shares. he's averaging 24.9 points, five and a half rebounds, and 2.9 assists in the month of March on like That's awesome fine shooting percentages um i'm not not saying he's not great he's gonna be on the all rookie team he just can't be the rookie of the year Uh, we'll we'll see we'll see you know if he if he averages 30 30 points per game next month maybe we'll uh we'll be saying something (laughs) different yeah he'll better come with some wins um (laughs) the uh, the other race that is shaken up a little bit uh Mm -hmm. the award race is shaken up a little bit is uh the mvp a race um you and i had lebron james uh very high in our uh uh, polls um, throughout the season. I think mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever had him below three. Um, and now, uh, with him mix, missing potentially extended period of time for the Lakers with a high ankle sprain, um, and and for the Lakers and LeBron, you just want him to be healthy for the playoffs. And I know he was really really gunning for this uh, for this MVP award. Everything that he said sounded like it was important to him to win this award. Um, but now you just kind of have to rethink things and say, all right, now it's important for me to, to win a trophy because what am I going to do with an MVP award if I don't finish it off 
with a championship at the end of the year. It's, I don't think it's going to be. Uh, I think you'd rather take the Larry Ob over the MVP award. So um, here's LeBron who is going to miss some time, and it, and even outside of him missing time, the race got very close, um, in my opinion, uh, with a lot of horses joining the fight. It, Jokic has always been there, Embiid has always been there. Giannis, we talked about it on this very podcast, how he was being kind of underrated, um, and and over the since then he's been playing incredible. He's made us look, he's made us look, I mean, intelligent as all ever. Um, <laughs> James Harden is uh, has sneaked into the race, but I think people will hold against, uh, you know, hold him against, hold the fact that he uh, kind of held up Houston a little bit uh, against him in, in the race, but you still have to mention him because he's having an MVP season. Dame Lillard is there. Uh, I don't know if Kawhi is creeping back in, but I know that definitely Luka Doncic is keep creeping back in. And the only thing that we can say about Luka is that Dallas hasn't been winning many games, but here they are. They're, they're kind of getting it going now um, and, and re-entering the discussion uh, in eighth in the Western Conference. So where do you sit right now uh, in the race? You don't, you don't have to give me a winner, but where what does it look like for you? How many guys are still involved? Well, it's funny because I think you just named eight players. And you also didn't mention Steph Curry, who by all right. accounts is an MVP candidate this season. And I think that just really speaks to how crazy this race still is because I feel like every time, like, you know, we, we talked about discussing this today and I started taking notes and I'm writing all the names down and I have a, like 10, a list of 10 names. And I still feel in the back of my mind like I'm forgetting someone. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And that's just how wild it is. So I think it's been crazy from the get-go. It's always felt like it's LeBron and beating Jokic were the top three. Um, we had LeBron at number one for most of the season. And I think a week, I think it was a week before Embiid got injured. We That was the first time that he moved to number one um, in our rankings and LeBron moved to number two. But I think between the both of them, because Embiid's out right now with an injury as well and he could miss extended time. I mean, I think that opens the door for someone like Jokic to really cement himself as the front runner in this race. But I mean, like you said, Lillard, I think he's right up there as well. The, the one interesting thing about both of them is that team records usually plays a big factor in the MVP race. Because I think if you look at it, basically pretty much every single year, the number one or number two seed in either conference, the MVP comes from that team. So, you know, if the Nuggets finish fourth, for example, is that good enough for Jokic to get it? Because, I mean, he, I, I think he's probably been the best offensive player in the league this season. And if you look at all the advanced numbers, which I, I would advise people not to put too much stock in them, but usually they do tell you something. I mean, he's number one in PER. He's number one in value over replacement play. He's number one in win shares. If you look at basketball references model, which uses past voting patterns to kind of project who will win MVP, they give him a 42% chance of winning. The guy in second place is Embiid with 17% chance. So he's just like <laughs> lapping the field by every single advanced statistic, basically saying that that screams that he is the best player in the league this season. So I think right now he's the front runner. But I mean, there's still like Lillard, like I said, team record could go, go against him. But he's absolutely in this conversation for the way that he's performed in the clutch in particular, but also carried this Blazers team that's dealt with injuries. But yeah, I mean... If that's the case, if we're going to use team record against them and the Bucs finish with the number one seed and Giannis is putting the same numbers up that he did the last couple seasons or even better, like it's going to be hard to keep him off of that list. Harden, if the Nets get the number one seed, Kyrie Irving misses time, Durant misses time, and he kind of takes over this team, that opens up for him. Um, like you said, Luca. So basically, this is a long-winded way of saying that I think this this race is still wide open. Um, again, I think I think Jokic is probably the front runner right now, but it, it's just it's been a wild race since day one and doesn't look like it's slowing down. We named pretty much the entire NBA when we're talking about who's in the running for the MVP award right now. And I still feel like there's two names out there uh, that should at least 
get mentioned. Um, I don't know if they've quite got there yet uh, because there's things against them, but they should at least be mentioned. One's Jimmy Butler. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think if the Heat um, kind of climb back out of the hole that they were in at the start of the season because of all the uh, you know man games missed uh, to, to either health and safety or injury, since he's returned, the Heat look like the team that made the finals a year ago. Um, and if they're able to, uh, they're right now they're they're very far out of you know a top three seed. Um, but if they're able to get on some sort of a roll and make it a little closer, I think he has to have some sort of consideration. And then the other one, the numbers aren't there, but his impact is. And if the Phoenix Suns finish in first place in the Western Conference, I think he has to be in the conversation. They're not far away from doing that. They're two and a half games right now as we speak. Uh, Chris Paul, I, I think the he's taken that Phoenix Suns franchise and and really just transformed it. This is a team that was that had to go 8-0 in the bubble just to even sniff the postseason a year ago and still didn't make it. And they're on a uh, one of the biggest droughts in, in the NBA in terms of not making the playoffs. He arrives, and they're one of the, the, the top two teams in the West right now. Um, and quietly, he is having a great season. Just the, I think the numbers scare people away that he's not averaging the you know the, the, the eye popping 29 points per game like some of these other guys are that are in the, in the mix but his impact on the suns I, I think can't be understated no i agree with you because i i feel like i was higher than most on the phoenix suns this season um thinking that they'd be a f- fifth or sixth seed at best and you're right i mean they're only two and a half games behind the jazz for the best record in the western conference in the league right now which is absolutely crazy especially with some of the stuff that they de- they've dealt with with injuries and whatnot um yeah i mean it it just blows my mind like it it felt i'll never forget it felt like that injury that chris paul suffered uh i think it was his first season in houston in the playoffs that hamstring injury i want to say it was that felt like the beginning of the end for him and he he really the the season after that he dealt with more injuries and he never looked like he could quite get back to that level he was the season prior um and then yeah he goes to the oklahoma city thunder rejuvenates his career and here he is i mean he's what 35 years old um, you just don't see, if you go back in NBA history, you don't see undersized point guards his age this late in their career doing the things that he is doing and still impacting winning the way that he does. Um, so, yeah, he's he's just transformed this Suns team. And again, like it is, it's important to remember that this team, I feel like people were generally questioning whether or not they would make the playoffs this season just because the West was so deep. Um, and yeah, they're, they're, they're cementing themselves as one of the best teams in the league. I still think that my, my only hesitancy with that team is um, DeAndre Ayton because I feel like it's just a big – they're going to be asking a lot of him very early in his career, and I don't know if he's at that stage yet for them to kind of go on an extended run. Um, but, I mean, they, they, they look – they have – it looks like they have outside of him pretty much everything that you'd want from a title contender. And that's not to, you know, downplay him. He's still very important to them. I like DeAndre Ayton. I think he's going to be a great player. But, um, yeah, what Chris Ball has done on that team is, is incredible. Uh, he just continues to, 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 I mean, defeat Father Time in the same, similar way that we've seen from Le- Le- LeBron James. Yeah, I, I am with you on uh, how, how surprisingly good Phoenix has been this year. I don't think they'll make a deep run, not because of DeAndre Ayton. It's just too much Frank Kaminsky for me. I, I mean, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't take a team seriously that's playing Frank Kaminsky more than, uh, you know, at sometimes 20, 20 minutes a game. That's a... Uh, that's it's not it's not for me. Uh, yeah, but look, we we kind of saw this with like the Heat last year, for example. In the playoffs, they started Jay Crowder next to Bam Adebayo. They go to another level. Like Frank Kaminsky, there's I I don't know if I'd bank on him playing big minutes in the playoffs. They might go small. Um, Lamarcus Aldridge is actually, by the way, I think in a, a sneaky um, 
the Suns are a sneaky destination for him if he gets bought out. Uh, I think they can kind of use him as a backup sensor. Not to say that he's going to be the key to kind of get him to the next level, but I do think he would help um, kind of lighten some of those maybe backup sender Frank Kaminsky minutes and, and everything else that they have going on. But I, I'm not too worried about them. I, I think we'll see a lot of Jay Crowder in the playoffs, small ball, things like that. Yeah, listen, if it, it, too much Frank. That's all, that's, that's all I'll say, <laughs> too, that's all I'll say all right, about that. All right. um, before we get out of here, we, we can't go without uh, paying homage to uh, an NBA legend that we lost this week. Elgin Baylor passed away uh, this week um, due to natural causes, uh, according to his, his family. Uh, of course, a Laker legend. Um, the, I think, pound for pound, uh, best player to never win an NBA title uh, is, uh, is, 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 you know, the, an honor that most people don't want. But um, because he was that good, I think people recognize uh, he was the superstar of, you know, uh, of the 60s um, and continued to be uh, to many. I saw some of the young guys uh, uh, that are in the NBA now paying homage, Mo Bamba. Uh, tweeting that uh, you know uh, that uh, Elgin Baylor kind of opened the door by uh, boycotting one of the Laker games because he wasn't uh, allowed to stay in the the, the first hotel and, and also wasn't served in a restaurant. Um, things that he had to go through that uh, really uh, kind of blazed the trail for for a lot of the athletes that are playing in the league now. He was the number one overall pick in 1958. Uh, he is uh, spent 14 years with the franchise, <laughs> 27 points per game, 13 rebounds, uh, four and a half assists. Of course, 11 All-Star selections, 10 All the NBA selections. Was inducted to the Hall of Fame in uh, 1977. I mean, and the Lakers retired his jersey. There is a statue outside of Staples Center uh, in his honor. Um, and Elgin Baylor, just uh, a true superstar and, and one of the legends of one of the most famous teams in uh in the world in the los angeles lakers so our thoughts and prayers to the baylor family the laker family uh and everyone uh that had the opportunity to see him play and was uh affected by his passing we lost him at the age of 86 years old uh scott i know you are uh had done a little research on elgin baylor was there anything that stuck out to you uh about reading about elgin baylor and, and his impact in the game well, there's a, there's a really good piece by Sean Powell on NBA.com that he wrote yesterday that I think just put in perspective not all, like how he was basically just the first to kind of play the way that he was. And a lot of what we see in the NBA today, playing at a fast pace, getting up and down the court, high flies, things like that, like Elgin Baylor kind of set the standard for all that. Um, so, you know, he, he was a trailblazer um, on and off the court. And and like you said, it's, it's sad that it takes like moments like this to really see how much someone has impacted it because you do see you see everyone talking about how incredible they were um and it's you know it's just a shame that it takes that to kind of show appreciation to all the full appreciation to these players and the impact they've had on the league but um yeah i mean in saying that you know you, you really do see the impact that they've had when things like this happen because as i said every, everyone has something to say not everyone has positive things to say and uh he's left a, a lasting impact on the league that's for sure no question about it. If you haven't yet, go ahead and read Sean Powell's piece on NBA.com and do yourself uh, a favor and go and look up Elgin Baylor, his highlights, and learn a little bit about uh, the, the great man that we lost this week and uh, the impact he's made in our great game. All right, that will do this week. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy the, uh, the crazy week that's ahead of us. 
rumors galore i know scott will love it uh trade deadline coming up here on thursday 3 p.m eastern time we will see you back next tuesday 3 p.m eastern time live across the nba global networks i'm sure the nba will look a little bit different at least uh at that point scott and i will break everything down at that time if you miss any part of this you can go and find it in the archives on a podcast feed wherever you get your podcast nba sound system and of course make sure you're back here next week 3 p.m again live live for scott rafferty i am carlin gay we will see you next time right here on nba sound system